Welcome to Mostly Books Meets. We're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life, and we hope you'll join us for the journey. podcast this week, I'm speaking to Sunday Times best-selling author Beth O'Leary. Beth wrote her debut novel, The Flat Share, on her train journey to and from her job at a children's publisher. Since then, she's gone on to write a further three books, and her writing has been translated into more than 30 languages. Beth's latest novel, The No Show, is out on the 12th of April. Beth, welcome to Mostly Books Meets. Oh, thank you very much. Very excited to be here. I'm very pleased you're here. Saying to you just before we started recording, it's very funny when there's an author whose books you absolutely love, which we all love your books in our shop. I don't know. I, I never. Sometimes I do think about the author, like what they look like and who they are. But you just <laughs> get the name behind these books, and then suddenly it's very oh. to you today. So it's lovely. <laughs> oh well, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so as I do with all my guests, I'm going to start off by going back to your childhood. You were raised in Winchester, and you mm-hmm. were the youngest of six children. That must yeah. have been pretty eventful lively household it was that is a good description very noisy so I have four older brothers and an older sister so um lots of love lots of noise and uh when I was a teenager my family also actually did fostering so there were sometimes a couple of extra kids around um but then some of the oldest had left by then so it was that was kind of the vibe and I think actually a big part of my love of reading kind of came from sort of being an introvert in a big, loud family. And it was like, you know, I could sort of find an island of calm with a book in the house. And yeah, I just, I I was always reading. I was like, I remember balancing, I used to have this trick behind our taps where I could have a book open whilst I brushed my teeth. Our taps, you could just fit like a standard paperback open behind the tap so that I didn't have to stop reading whilst I brushed my teeth. <laughs> as a sign of a really good book if you literally can't spare two and a half totally I love that feeling it's the best feeling isn't it when you're like oh I do kind of like need to go and make a cup of tea but can I bring the book with me and like can I fill the kettle up without having to like put it down (laughs) so I I used to live in London I used to have that thing where every now and again you have a book you couldn't stop reading when you got off the tube you're like walking Uh, down the street that is high risk in a tube station as well (laughs) (laughs) never a good idea never a good idea (laughs) <laughs> so you mentioned you were a big reader so is there ever a point in your life where you don't remember reading books oh good question um not really like I think my parents you know made books a really big part of my life and and I remember like my dad he commuted from London so he'd be home late but I have and like a real you know sometimes there are those snapshots in your memory of, of kind of I don't know, just almost like a photo in my mind of my dad's sort of feet crossed at the ankles wearing his slippers as he sort of settles down next to me to read me a story if he gets back in time in the evening. And so they made stories a big part of my life. And I think I remember this before I could properly read. I don't know if that's true, but the Bramley Hedge books, I remember I loved those because the, the illustrations were so intricate. And they're about these little mice that live in 
the bottom of a tree and they kind of have this whole little miniature world and and I used to stare at the pictures and make up stories like I used to just look at the illustrations and kind of imagine what might be happening and I loved looking at all the little details so I think even very very early reading was about inspiring me to imagine my own stories really that's amazing the it's funny that you chose that bit because we're in our fourth season of the podcast now and nobody's mentioned the Bramley Hedge and when you did I was like oh my goodness yes <laughs> I remember them too and, and funny because you the one you particularly pointed out to me was the I would be copy of the autumn book yeah that, for some reason that's the one that I remember as well isn't that funny I think it's because it's got these little red rose hips everywhere it's very it looks very different from the others and yeah I still have a copy of that one um very battered sort of lovingly kept on a shelf for if my little one ever wants to read them who he probably won't (laughs) (laughs) maybe one day maybe one day yeah I mean you so you're a big reader did you enjoy writing as a child as well yeah I actually don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't writing I think you know I also always I loved imaginary games and I loved like imaginary worlds and that was just a huge part of my life really and and um I used to like if there was old printer paper that someone like my my mum for work would have printed something on the back of and then she'd keep them and I'd write stories in pencil on the back of plain paper that'd been used for the printer and there's still some somewhere in in my parents loft in a box I remember a particular one about a a very original about a a fairy living under a toadstool um (laughs) groundbreaking stuff (laughs) It's great that you can remember doing that from a really young age. I mean, Mm. that enthusiasm about writing clearly stuck with you because, as I understand it, you started sending submissions out to agents at the age of 17. I did. I really have wanted to do this job forever. (laughs) (laughs) I am living my childhood dream right now. I was really lucky as well. I had a, uh, there was one particular teacher at secondary school, um, Mr. Demant, who so encouraged me with my writing. I don't know how he found out I liked writing, but he always encouraged me to send him things that I'd written. And he took it out of being something that was like a kind of embarrassing little hobby and was like, hey, you're really good at this. And that was huge at that point, particularly when you're a teenager. And like, that's, I think it would have been an easy time to lose that sort of childlike enthusiasm for making things up, you know, and he was so encouraging. And and I think probably is a huge part of, you know, why I'm a writer now, really. But yes, I completed my first finished novel. I think I must have been oh, 15 or 16 or something. And I remember saying to my parents, like, can I print it out? And then being a bit like, okay. <laughs> it was really long. And of course, I had no concept how expensive like printing is. <laughs> it's like I wanted to hold it in my hands and say, I wrote this book. But yeah, I kind of learned from reading online and from the Writers and Artists Yearbook. I remember getting that out of the library and and sort of found out about how publishing works, like getting an agent and, and being published by a publishing house. And yeah, so I sent out countless queries, really. And The Flat Share, my debut novel, was the first time anyone had wanted to, yeah, had had wanted to read the full manuscript. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about that because, um, well, kind of let's backtrack a little bit. So when you left school, mm. you ended up working in children's publishing. But where did you go? What was your kind of route from A to B? Yeah, so I did English at university and it's actually the time that I wrote the least in my life when I was a student. I think that's probably quite a common story. It's yeah. you're so immersed in other people's stories and yeah. Especially studying English. 
Yeah, yeah. you're just you have reading to read so much, aren't totally. you? Totally. And you're looking at writing in such a different way. You're like analyzing it, you know, and instead of immersing yourself. And it, it was actually such a pleasure to come back to reading for fun after university. And I really discovered the genre that I write now was when I was looking for some fun escapist reading instead of something sort of earnest and literary oh really so you've discovered because the fiction that you write I mean it's generally known as uplift fiction uplifting fiction mm. it's one of my absolute favorite genres I oh mine too to anyone that will listen <laughs> to me because I just think that the thing about you and, and people that write in the way that you do is that you write these books that could be considered light and fluffy but you don't write them in that way you write them in a way that's actually really incredibly well written almost bordering on literary in terms of the quality of the writing but yet you get this wonderful feeling of happiness it's amazing Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I understand that there was a particular I always ask people about the book that changed their life and and yeah and as I understand that you were just about to talk about that book weren't you so the book that changed your life was handed to you by a friend so that happened to you when you were just coming out of university right so yeah I worked for a little bit in um academic publishing actually which was because I wanted to get into the world of publishing and I didn't really know much about academic publishing but yeah I, I worked there for a a little while and then I, I sidestepped into sort of so I worked in licensing in publishing just to explain to people what that is it's sort of like I worked in children's licensing so I worked on like activity books that tie into a tv show or that kind of thing so it's a really fun buzzy creative weird and wonderful world it meant going to kind of toy fair and <laughs> like meeting people that make puppets and people <laughs> that make tv shows and yeah, it was it was wonderful but yes it was in that job actually that a friend my friend Bab, she I can't even remember how it came about but she recommended Marion Keys to me I think I'd said I'd enjoyed something I used to read a little bit of young adult which is probably also how I kind of came into reading something that's a bit more like I guess commercial fiction and I read Rachel's Holiday by Marion Keys and I think like a lot of people I was a bit of a snob about anything that I thought was chick lit or romance I think I worried that I I think I probably felt like oh I shouldn't read something like that like almost like it's too easy like you know that's not what reading is and Rachel's Holiday it's such an incredible book I mean, and Marion Keys, I think she's like a modern Jane Austen. She's such an amazing writer and such an inspiration. But Rachel's Holiday is a book about addiction and recovery and self-delusion. And and just it touches on such deep themes. But it's also an absolutely fantastic comedy. And it's an easy read. And I, I, I almost like I think people so often use sort of easy read as if like that's not easy to do (laughs) I guess is what I'm saying like it's easy to sort of say like oh yeah you could read it really quickly sort of thing and actually that is such a skill particularly to write something that's funny and gripping and feels light but actually also kind of addresses some really interesting things too and I I just blew me away that book and and after that I was just a voracious reader of the genre and I moved on to sort of Sophie Kinsella and and then now I read a lot of romance and I have so changed my view on that genre and also on what I think reading is for and what books mean to me because I think I couldn't quite let myself do it just for fun and actually my favorite messages to receive from readers are when people say you know what I was having a really tough week and then I picked up the switch and it really got me through. And that is what books can do. And it's such a privilege to be able to do that for people because that's what books have given me. And 
you know, I think it can be hard to let yourself do something that's just for joy. And that's what I try and make reading for myself now, because it can be. And if you just let yourself just read what you actually want to read without thinking about like, oh, I probably shouldn't read this because, you know, I should read something worthy that everyone would be impressed by. (laughs) If you just let that go and think, do you know what? I'd really love to read a really good love story where everything's all right in the end. Or I really fancy reading something really gripping where, you know, or whatever it is that you fancy, just read that. (laughs) I totally agree. And I, I totally can understand why if you studied English, as well at university I live with a girl that did the same and she would be reading these you know really uh, intense texts and she loved them but she lost her way a little bit in terms of what she enjoyed reading Mm. and I remember when I took over the shop I was really worried I think I had a bit of an imposter syndrome about admitting that I liked the kind of books that we're talking about I just kind of thought that everyone assumed that if you ran a bookshop you should oh yeah all about literary fiction or like Uh very complex but in fact I'm just like no I love I mean I love oh, a lot I of- love that <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think it just takes all different kinds of readers doesn't it totally so many different types of books totally mm. have you read again Rachel yet oh not yet it is sitting on my bedside table like this sort of almost like a glow around it like ah <laughs> because it's one of those books that I'm almost scared to start you know that feeling where you're like I know I'm going to love this but like Oh God, what if it doesn't live up to my expectations? It will, well, it will. <laughs> oh, have you read it? <laughs> I've read some of it. I haven't read enough. I took it on holiday only recently. Oh, lovely. But I took it with a whole bunch of other books and I didn't that was one I was reading towards the end. So uh, I've got to finish it, but I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you discovered Rachel's holiday whilst you were working in publishing. Then that had an impact on the kind of the way that you wanted to write. So how did Flatshare come about? I wrote it mostly on my commutes actually on the train so I was working in London but I'd moved back to Winchester and I was yeah it's about an hour and 10 minutes each way um and one of the things I'd found when I was living in London that I'd struggled with was I wasn't finding time to write and if I don't write I feel sad like it's just like part of who I am and it almost feels like I'm not quite myself if I'm not doing any writing or at least not sort of working on a story, um, even if it's just in my head. And I was finding that I was just squeezing writing into like a Sunday evening or something because life was so busy and I was really, really missing it. And so I decided to use my train journeys and I saved up for these noise cancelling headphones that I am wearing as we speak, which were an absolute game changer because I'd sit down on the train and flick the little switch and like disappear. And I had a playlist uh, for the flat share and I wrote and it worked brilliantly for me. Actually, I found it really worked having that like set time every day. And I still do it sometimes like this morning, I did a sprint. I like put a timer on for half an hour, just write what I can. It was a good sort of incentive. You'd be like, oh my God, I'm already at Woking. Like I've not written enough words. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's how that book came to be. And how long did it take from you, the idea when you start putting the pen to paper? to the book actually being out there I mean I, I know you've talked in the past about the point where you get you got that email from the agent where you're really yeah. you know, really excited about your book so that must have been a really exciting time but how long was the whole process I reckon it took me about a year or year and a half to write the novel and yeah I think that's about right and then I sent it out to a few people I remember I was very I had sent queries before but this one was scary to send out to literary agents I think in some way I felt And maybe this is one of those things that you can say with retrospect, but I felt that book was special somehow. And I was like, I was scared to kind of put it out there and be told no, because 
the querying process is a process of constant rejection. And really, I mean, people always say like, oh, it only takes one yes, but it really does. <laughs> like I had one yes. I sent it to a handful of agents and only one asked to read beyond the first three chapters. Um, so I sent her the full manuscript and then sort of checked my email about every 10 seconds uh, for a very long time. And then I got this email from her saying, I loved it and I'd really like to meet. And I could still, even as I'm telling you it, I can still feel the just like unbelievable excitement <laughs> that I felt like that would on its own have made my year. Like this was what I'd always wanted, but it just went so much further than that. And I signed with Tanara and she really helped me work on the novel. I took a lot out of the beginning of the book, which it really, really benefited from. And then um, we kind of got it ready and sent it out to editors. And then unbelievably within days, things were starting to happen. And I got this phone call in the evening from her saying that Quirkus Books wanted to offer me a two book deal. And I sat on the floor and I was in my pajamas. <laughs> I remember exactly what, what I was wearing. I was in my pajamas and I sat on the floor and I just kept saying like, oh my, oh my God, are you serious? Like, uh, uh, oh my God. And she was so patient with me. I now know that the offer was sort of like on the table and she had to like accept the offer, but she was sort of so patiently sat there as I was like, wait, really? Like, <laughs> She said, yes, yes, but time and time. Yeah, she was like, eventually she was kind of like, I am going to go now. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I, getting a two book deal as a debut author, I mean, must just have mine. I mean, The Flat Show was a huge success and we absolutely loved it in the shop. Oh, we were thank kind of you. With it and, um, and then you went on to, to write The Switch, The Road Trip, and your latest novel, The No Show, which we'll yeah. come back to shortly. At what point were you able to stop working in publishing and, and start writing full time? So, I made that decision when the flat share kind of, it sort of totally snowballed. Like I was, I had this period of weeks where I was getting calls and emails all the time, sort of saying things that were just titled things like Norway or like Finland. <laughs> and yeah. and the book was selling all over the world. And I knew obviously, because I'd worked in publishing, I knew what rights were and that things, but I, I actually remember when I was signing my contract with the agency, it mentioned about rights and thinking like, God, imagine, like, imagine if it sold somewhere like other than here. And, and then suddenly I was getting, it was selling all over the world. And then we got a, um, a preempt in the US and I was actually out celebrating the whole thing with some friends from work. Um, and we were at the pub and I was carrying a lot of pints and I had to be like, hang on, I can't hear you. I'm just going to go outside. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I got this life-changing phone call. Um, and it was an amount of money really that meant that I could go full time as a writer. And, we all went to karaoke <laughs> and I cried and sang Dolly Parton. <laughs> I just felt like my life was like, I couldn't really believe it was happening really. Yeah, it was such an incredible time. So yes, and then I was and then I was writing full time and suddenly this hobby that I had squeezed into little pockets of time was my whole thing and I got myself a gorgeous little desk and I got myself a laptop and I sat down at the table and was like, right, I've got to write a second book now. I've like told everyone I'm going to and quite a lot of people have paid me some money for it already because I've got a two book deal. Uh, so I just need to write one of those and it was a such a combination of emotions. It was incredible, but it was also terrifying. And I was, I mean, you, you talk about imposter syndrome, but I felt that so much. And I felt so full of self-doubt and I had this sort of fear that I was going to let everybody down and I wasn't going to be able, and, and I, suddenly, you know, people were reading my first book and enjoying it. And so suddenly there were more people for me to let down if I couldn't do it again. 
the second book, isn't it? I mean, totally. And then everybody says to you all the time, like, ah, oh, tricky second album. And you're like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yep. <laughs> so um, these days you live in Hampshire with your partner and your... Yes your new baby well, my new baby congratulations <laughs> thank you a bit of a life-changing situation last totally year. how is everything how's life for you oh it's great I'm kind of I'm learning how to juggle everything um suddenly feel a bit like I have about five times as many things to do in the day than there is room for and like I said I've always written and so I kind of knew that having a baby would but you never know, like you, you never know how much that will change things. But I've still felt the same about writing and I still, my brain is still kind of buzzing away with stories. So my next novel sort of began on my phone whilst breastfeeding, actually. Um, so writing is still finding its way into my life and and has in the same way that when I was working full time, it kind of went into the pockets of time. It sort of did that with early mum life. <laughs> Minute and a half, you have to yourself every day. Mm. Are you managing to read at all? I am. Yes. Now, again, I downloaded the Kindle app onto my phone. And that just means that whenever you only have one hand or when you only have a couple of minutes, you've always can read a few pages. Um, And actually, once we moved him out of our room and I could have that like time before bed reading in bed again because I didn't want to put the light on because I'd wake the baby and going back to physical books was so nice. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so lovely like to have this little. And then of course I read two pages and I'm like, completely <laughs> asleep because I'm so exhausted <laughs> but in theory I can now read a proper book again but yeah so I've, I've read a ton of books on my phone <laughs> what was the last book you read so I really enjoyed Lauren Ho's Lucy Yee is not a romantic um it's her second novel Last Hang Standing was one of my kind of oh like my one of my pandemic books you know one of those books that comes to you just when you need it and if you haven't read it it's so worth a read um it's so brilliantly funny it's a it's just a fantastic rom-com and Lucy Yee is, is a bit different it's about a a woman who decides to co-parent with someone and I guess probably because I am newly a parent I found it especially kind of interesting and I loved reading a romantic comedy where the protagonist for much of the book was pregnant like I don't know I hadn't come across that before and yeah it's a great read I really enjoyed it one to add to the list. Mm. Um, let's get back to your books because uh, that's what <laughs> we already talk about. Um, all of your books today have been quite different. I mean, they're, mm. they're all standalone. Um, but all of them are in that same you know, uplifting fiction genre, as we discussed earlier. Um, let's talk about your latest book, The No Show. It's the first time you've really kind of had an ensemble cast of characters. I mean, although you always have a number of characters in your previous books, this time there was actually quite a large number of people to kind of deal with. So that's one big difference. Before I kind of go into detail, for anyone that hasn't read or hasn't come across it yet, what's, well, they won't have read it yet because we've been recording this before it's published. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't come across it yet, what's the book about? So, yes, The No Show is about three women who are all stood up on the worst day to be stood up, Valentine's Day. Um, and it transpires that they've all been stood up by the same guy. So that's where we start. <laughs> I absolutely love the book. Uh, oh, thank I read you. it very, very quickly. There's a lot going on. And what I really love about it is the fact that the characters that you have in there are all, I found, very likable. And because the way you read it, you feel like you have to kind of come into one of their camps. You have to take one of their sides, which I'd end up not being the case with your wonderful twist in it. But um, I literally was kind of moving <laughs> from allegiance. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I wanted them all to steal your heart. So I'm glad to hear that. And they really, really did. I mean, that must be quite a difficult thing to kind of come mm. together. How was the planning process for this book? Yeah, 
oh my God, I've never written such a complicated book. And I have vowed that I never will again, but I always break my own vows about things like that. But it was almost like writing. And actually, I found this a really helpful way to conceptualise it. It's almost like writing three novellas because I wanted each of the three women to kind of like be worthy of a whole novel. Like I wanted each of their stories to feel full and rich and Yes, it is very much one novel and they all kind of intertwine, but it really helped me to see each of their stories that way and to say, what's their journey? Like, what's their character arc? What's the shape of their romance? What's their love story? And yeah, that was a big breakthrough for me. Um, But I mean, I love secondary characters. They're always like my favourite to write. And there are so many in this book (laughs) because there's three whole worlds, like three whole women's lives. And I wanted them to feel rich and and fleshed out, like I say. So yeah, we've got probably my biggest cast of characters ever. Um, But yes, planning. Oh God, it was the first time I've ever had to really kind of, I did with the road trip, I, on edits, I did a, a big spreadsheet to kind of keep track of everything. Cause you know, that was sort of a bit more experimental in, in terms of voice and how the voices sort of alternated. But with this one, I had to get my head around it and I had to map it out. And I was nervous about what that would do to the writing process because I am a quite, I'm very character led and I like to just sort of for me, there is something a bit magical about writing. And when it's going well, it's like a rush. It's so heady and kind of joyous. And I almost feel like I'm not writing it. I'm like uncovering the story. And that's what I love. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of putting a bit of a, I'm putting a spreadsheet onto the, onto the joy. But thankfully, and it was very interesting for me to learn that I can work that way. And actually, once I had the framework in place, I think for me, that joy comes from connecting with character and and things actually, in some ways, having things fall into place and not having to think, what's going to happen now (laughs) was quite helpful. Yeah, so it's almost like you had the skeleton on the spreadsheet and then it out. Mm. The story, as I mentioned, has a real twist in it, which I didn't see coming. (laughs) Crazy, because now I've read the whole thing. I'm like, of course, of course. But um, when you started writing, did you always know that was going to happen or... Or did that evolve as the story evolved? Oh, this is difficult to answer without spoilers. But I will say, so I knew part of it. I knew one of the twists and turns. And then about three quarters of the way through, I had one of those experiences that you long for as a writer. It so rarely happens, which was an idea just dropping out of the sky, like a sort of shock going through me. And I thought, oh, my God, what if? (laughs) And then I thought, could I? And then I thought, no, I couldn't. And then I thought, maybe I could. And then I sent this voice note to my friend and and I was like, oh my God, I think I had this idea and I think it might be really good. And I was so excited. And then she was like, oh my God, you have to do it. And so I went back to the beginning. It was a big rewrite. And at this point I was pregnant. So I was also like, oh, I've got a bit of a deadline here. (laughs) You know, I might be able to persuade my publishers to move my date, but I uh, don't think I can persuade the baby. (laughs) But thankfully once I had, you know, I wrote so fast because... I kind of knew, I knew what I had to do. And um, yeah, I kind of went back. And and to be honest, it's unusual for something to strike me with that kind of force and an idea to feel like that exciting that stage. But it's not unusual for me to go back when I'm three quarters of the way into a novel and have to like do a massive rewrite. I'm a very messy writer. I feel like I'm very kind of inefficient. (laughs) There's a lot of wasted tens of thousands of words in my process. And I I keep thinking like the next book though, I'm just going to write it. And I'm going to be one of those authors that just like 
oh, my first draft was pretty much there, but I have yet to reach that point. <laughs> I think that's very rare. So wait, you mentioned your process. Do you have a like a writing structure? I and mean, obviously you're, you've mentioned you're a new mum, so that's going to impact you as well. Mm. You're doing but do you are you one of those people that likes to sit down and go right this is my writing time do you set yourself a word count limit what, what's your approach yeah so normally yeah I tend to write 2,000 words a day when I'm doing a first draft which is so much that I cannot overthink it it's like a real stretch every day and that's good because otherwise I fiddle like I'm I want to go back and then it makes me just pour the story out which I find works for me and then I then download the file onto uh, my Kindle and I sit in my armchair and I read it. And that is horrible because reading my first draft is always like, oh God. <laughs> but if I read it on screen, like on like the Word document, I just, I can't resist like just changing stuff yeah. then and there. And it's just, it also, if I have to make the changes right then, I'm less ambitious with them. Like if I'm sitting there and I'm like, do you know what, this bit's not working. I need to cut this whole section because then that's like a job for future me. Whereas if, I have, if I'm doing it live with the document right there, I'll go, oh, maybe I could leave it. So I make myself sit down with it and write notes on my first draft. And then I dive in. And the second draft, to be honest, is when the book happens, really. I feel like the first draft is like, I don't even know what it is sometimes. I don't, it just is kind of really raw. And then the second draft is kind of where I craft the novel, really. And that is more like, uh, I do sort of a bit more of a, well, I would do pre being a mum much more of a kind of nine to five day, like sit myself down, dive in. And it doesn't always happen like that. Like I have learned that sometimes this job, the only way to do it well is to not do any work for a bit, uh, which is very weird to me. But you have to sometimes just take yourself away and go and have a bath or go and walk the dog. And that will be when I think of something that sorts out a problem that I could have spent 10,000 words trying to figure out. So I still am very bad at actually doing that. I sort of say this when I have chats with people and then, you know, we'll end this conversation and I'll go back to my current manuscript and I'll be like, I must just sit at my desk and carry on typing because that's how you write a book. <laughs> Even though I've said just, I, I don't know what it is. It's it's really hard to, to take that lesson on. But I know now that sometimes even, you know, in that editing stage, you, you have to walk away and leave it alone for a while. There's probably a bit of psychological uh, aspect there because especially if you worked in jobs in the past, which did involve you going into an office at a particular time of day, working until a particular time of day. So in your mind, that's kind of the work day. Totally. And I think, you know, as a writer, like you say, you never know when that kind of creativity is going to hit you. Yeah. So it must be very I think if you're someone that's always just written and mm. not a traditional job, I imagine it wouldn't be quite so much of an um, yeah. adjustment. I think also I sort of feel that putting in effort should make it better <laughs> and actually putting in effort sometimes makes it worse with writing like sometimes you need to just take your eye away from it and you know my husband always says that when we go on holiday on day two I always have an idea for a book and I think it's just relaxing and saying I'm, I'm going to stop trying and that's when creativity sort of happens but you can't do that on purpose. You can't be like, I am taking a day off. <laughs> I shall trick my brain into thinking and then I'll have a great book idea. That doesn't work. So you have to actually take a holiday. <laughs> uh, you just need to take more holidays. That's yeah, great. I know. And then I don't. Why? <laughs> 
So your new book, it's come out very soon. We're recording this mm. a bit before the publication date. We were very excited to be part of the cover reveal on social media. Yeah. Um, our shop was one of the few that got to display it. And there was a lot of excitement, like I say, in the shop, but also a lot of our customers are really looking forward to it. How you feel at the moment? Because it's that kind of calm before the storm, isn't it, at the moment? It is. It, this is this kind of nerve-wracking sort of stage, but a, a few... I think probably the most nerve wracking stage is when the very first people read it, when, you know, only my husband and my agent have read it. And I kind of think, oh, so I have now had like some lovely, lovely authors have said some kind things about it. And then I kind of take a breath because I feel like, oh, I don't know. I was right. This is this is a good story. (laughs) And then, yeah, there's just the wait for for publication. I can't wait to see it out in the world, to be honest. I'm really, really excited about this one. You know, it's definitely my most ambitious novel and and, uh, I'm buzzing. I'm really excited for people to read it. I hope I hope you're all going to like it. (laughs) I have no doubt. Like I say, the anticipation is definitely there. So I think as soon as it's going to start flying. So that's kind of out of your control now that's happening so are you working on anything else at the moment that seems such, like such a ridiculous question to ask somebody whose book isn't out yet but I always like to ask oh yeah you're always one book ahead when you're writing which is a very strange sort of place to be because you're always talking about a book that you feel like oh but I wrote that a while ago <laughs> so yes I am writing something new um as I say kind of writing fitting in and around kind of learning how to juggle writing life and mum life but um just loving I, I mean, I never stopped writing really, whether it was in my head staring out the window or on my phone or on the laptop. But yeah, so I'm not going to say anything about it yet because nobody knows about it yet. And I'm convinced I'm quite superstitious at this stage of the writing process. I feel like if I what I find is if I tell somebody about it and they don't respond in exactly the right way, like like if they don't respond basically by being like, oh, my God, that's the best thing anyone has ever said. <laughs> then I'll be like oh no it's rubbish and then I'll lose my confidence with it so a first draft like takes real grit (laughs) and you've got to you you can't shake yourself so I will keep it secret for now but um, I'm excited about it we will look forward to hearing about it but in the meantime we will very much look forward to having the no show on our shelves Beth it's been so lovely chatting to you today thank you so much for bringing on the podcast and best of luck no not at all it's been a joy thank you thank you all of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Mostly Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.